we worship you, Father, for what you're going, you're doing in our midst and what you're going to do here this morning, Father. We come to worship you and give you glory. We thank you. We praise you for you are mighty, mighty God. There is none before you. There is no one like you. No one, no one. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Glory to God. Glory to you. We worship you. We worship you, Father. We worship you. We worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, you can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, you know, we've been uh, talking about the last few weeks, his presence, and we're going to continue uh, teaching and ministering along those lines this morning in God's presence. Being in God's presence is one of the most important things that you'll ever learn to do in, in life. And it, because there's a lot of things that take place when you're in his presence. When you get into the Father's presence, there is a lot of things in the realm of the Spirit that happens with us that we don't realize. And so um, a lot of times what we fail to, to realize is we think, we call things that's, that's in his presence or we call things that are worship that really aren't worship. Well, you know, we know that the Bible says that wherever, you know, he, he, he never leave us or forsake us. So where we go, he goes with us. But see, there's a difference between him going with you and you being in his presence and welcoming his presence. Because a lot of Christians will go throughout their daily work and live their daily lives knowing that, well, God said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. But see, if you're, if you're ignorant of or you just ignore his presence with you, you won't look to him for things in your life. Well, you won't ask him questions about things that you're, that, you're, that you're doing in your life. You just go about living your life thinking, well, you know, God's with me. I don't have to worry about, about anything at all. But we see, you're not, you're not really paying any attention to him. You're not, you're not giving your attention to him and asking his for opinion, his guidance, or what he wants to do in your life, what you, he wants you to do that, that day. We just go about living thinking that, well, as Christians, I know that God's with me. But see, there's a, there, there is a difference between his presence being with you and, and him being with you. I mean, we know the same spirit that raised Jesus from the, the dead dwells in us. So wherever we, we go, he goes there. But see, are we active as far as recognizing his presence? Because if you were, and if I was, I'm not saying I'm, I'm better than I'm, I'm talking about when I say we, I mean all of us. If we were recognizing his presence, let me say it this way. Most of the things we do wrong would never happen. Why? Because we recognize that the Father is with us in every step we make. So we're going to be very watchful in the things we do. We're going to be very watchful in the things we say. We're going to be very watchful in where we go. Why? Because we recognize that, that God's got a plan for our lives and he's the one that has the plan. It's not us. God doesn't just you know, you let, let us make our plans and we live our lives 
and he blesses whatever we do. No, no, he's got a specific plan for your life, and unless you recognize that, you get off in air someplace, and you wind up doing something that God never called you to do, and his presence uh, is not with you in that. Oh, he's there with you because the Spirit of God's with you, but his presence is a different thing. And I want to take a look here in the Scripture at what it kind of uh, give you an idea of what it means to be in his presence. Open your Bibles um, to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Most believers have never heard some of these things, or they heard and they just kind of let them slip. And, you know, there's uh, the Bible gives direction on how to enter into God's presence, how to how to to seek Him out in Psalm one hundred, it tells us this in verse four. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good and His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Now, right there, it tells you how to enter into his gates. With what? With thanksgiving. It doesn't say anything in there about entering into his gates by telling God your problems, does it? But yet, a lot of times, when we think we're entering his presence, we go before the Lord and say, Lord, I've, I've got these issues in my life going on. I need your help. <laughs> and then we spill our guts out before him, tell him what we need, we need him to do, and, and we might even pull out a scripture here or there that supports that what we need. And then things don't happen. Or they're slow to happen. Or they, they seem like they're not even happening at all, or you seem like you hit a roadblock after a short time and, you, and, and things aren't moving. And you're wondering, what's going on here? See, there's a way that you approach the throne. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You, you, you're thankful to him. You're, 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 you're thankful for what he's done in your life. You're thankful for what he's doing in the earth today. You're thankful for his presence. And when we look at the body of Christ today, we don't see a lot of thankful people. It's a kind of a different picture than what we saw, you know, 50 or 100 years ago, or even really 25 years ago. But it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and then into his courts with praise. What happens in the courts? Well, the courts is where all the decisions are made. You know, it's just like if we go down here in downtown Boonville, and there's a courthouse down there. And we go into the courthouse, there's different courts in there. Why? Because in each of those courts, there's decisions being made in different areas of people's lives pertaining to different things. Well, see, the kingdom, really, the, what we see here on earth, courts and the judicial system, it was initially set up, they got that idea from heaven. So, the Bible tells us, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with what? Praise. Praise, you give praise to God as you're going into his courts. You're praising him. You're praising him. 
You're, you're, you, you thanked him. You've given him thanks. Now you're praising him because what? He has all the answers. He has all power. And, you know, God, God, if you're before us, who can be against us? I praise you, Lord. See, we enter into this course with praise because why? Because we know we'll have the petitions that we, 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 we ask him because we're going to ask according to the word of God. But where a lot of people make the mistake is they're, they go right in and they're asking God to do this. They need a miracle. Well, see, God still does miracles, but see, there's a way that you receive a miracle. There's a process that must go, you must go through to receive a miracle. Not everybody that, that asks for a miracle gets one. And you, you'll, you'll even get testimony. The bad thing about it, you get testimonies from people, in, from Christians, that'll tell you about people that, that needed a miracle and asked God for it and didn't get it. Those aren't good testimonies. Good testimony is one that needed a miracle and they, and they, they sought the Lord and, 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 and he responded. Let's look here at another scripture here. Go to Psalm um, 34. Psalm 34. Let's look here at Psalm 34. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Father. Psalm 34. Praise God. In Psalm 34, I was, I was reading and studying this scripture the, the other day, and um, the Lord started uh, ministering to me on it. I started to see some things that you know, I'd never seen before. Psalm 34, verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, that, that, notice that's not really a suggestion all right? The psalmist is saying, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. How, how do you make the Lord's praise to be continually in your mouth? It, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. When you hear a message like, like what, I, what I'm, the Lord's having me minister today, you should take something from that, and it should add to your spiritual life not detract from it. But a lot of times what happens is people will hear a message and they'll just, they'll kind of, you know, they'll hear the message and then they walk out and say, wow, that was a good message, but then they, they don't meditate anything on, on what was said, what the Lord said, how, what God spoke to them through that message. I, mean, <laughs> I see less and less Christians today even taking notes in church. Years ago, I remember everybody, everybody came to church with their Bibles and a notepad, and they were taking notes. I don't see that so much anymore. And it's not just here. It's in other churches, too. It's the same way. I think a lot of pastors will say the same thing. They, very few note-takers. Well, you know what? People don't have good memories. You can't remember everything that happens in a service uh, 24 hours later. I, I can't remember. There was, there was somebody did a statistics on it, and they they mentioned they, they showed what happened, how much memory we had in 24 hours, 48 hours, and a week. 
and it drops off drastically. It drops off drastically. So if you're not taking notes, you're, you're not going to remember what the Lord spoke to you or said to you during a service and how you're going to meditate it. How is his praise going to be on your lips if you're, you're trying to do it all from memory? You're not. You've got to have a word. You've got to have a word. And that's, see, that's where, that's where when you, you continually have his praise in your mouth, you'll continually have a word and he'll continue to add to it. Let's go on here. He says, verse 2, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Notice what it says here. The humble. What are the humble? The humble are those that are submitted to God. They're submitted to God. We don't see so much of that in the church today. There's not a lot of people that are submitted to, to God. They're, just, they're submitted to their own causes. They're submitted to their own life. You know, we have special meetings in church. You, you, you don't get very many people to show up. Um, with all different kinds of excuses to miss church. Um, you know, and I realize people have vacations and things. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but it just seems like some people, anything that happens in the world, well, I, I, can't, be there. I can't be there at church Sunday. Uh, I've got this going on. I've got that going. Well, you, you know what? Every Sunday, God, we, we meet with the Lord. All right? And, and, and when people don't come in and miss that meeting, they're not offending the pastors. Now, I know some pastors take it personal. I used to. I don't anymore because i got a revelation on this. You're not offending the pastor so much as you're offending God because his presence is is now second class to whatever you've got going on. Now, not a lot of people are going to agree with that. I realize that. That's not going to be a well-received word. Well, because we don't have a lot of we don't, we don't have a lot of real spiritual people in the church today. I mean, by the way, Jesus said when they asked about the last days, and he spoke about. He said, "When when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the earth?" I didn't say that. Jesus said it. He said, will he find faith in the earth? Why would he say something like that unless there's a strong possibility there's not going to be faith in the earth? When I look around today, and I think when, when, uh, uh, a lot of believers would agree, when you look around, there, there's not a lot of people that are full of faith. They're not faithful. That's what he means. You know, we all want to get to heaven and have the Father say, us, say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think what we're, a lot of them are going to hear, we're going to hear is, well, is that it? Is that all? And see, we we convinced ourselves we are we're faithful because we've got a Bible. We go to church once or twice a month. We give in the offering. We may even tithe. And we consider ourselves faithful. But are we faithful in our relationship with Jesus? Are we faithful in our relationship with the Father? There's some things we learn here. Let's go on here in verse 3. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. What does that mean? What does it mean to magnify the Lord? That means to take the Lord and whatever situation is going on in your life, 
you realize he's bigger than that situation, and you start proclaiming how he's bigger than that situation, if it's if it's a financial situation, you magnify the Lord by saying, Lord, you are my supply. You supply all of my riches according to your riches and, and glory in Christ Jesus. You're my supplier. Not my job, not the bank, not the government. Heaven is your supply. And what am I doing? I'm magnifying. Well, you do that, you're magnifying God. But what do we do? What, what happens with a lot of Christians? We have a tendency to magnify the problem. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this hole. <laughs> wow, it doesn't look like there's any way out. Look, just lost my job, lost this, lost the income, don't have anything coming in. What in the world am I going to do? That's not faithful. It's not faithful. You know, I was listening to, um, I believe it was uh, Brother Hagen. And he was telling the story about uh, his spiritual parents in the, in the faith, mom and pop Goodwin. Now, a lot of people today, especially young, you've never heard of mom and pop Goodwin. There, there are actually some, some audio messages on YouTube, you can go and listen to them. But he was telling the story about, the, how, about how Dad Goodwin, whenever they faced a financial situation in, their, in his ministry, he would go into his office and he would dance. <laughs> you can't teach that. Or, you've got to know that. Hey, or actually, you can't, let me take it back, you can teach it. He has to learn that from somewhere because you're not going to find that from the world. The world doesn't teach that. When you have financial problems, go in and dance before God. And that's what he would do. He would dance before the Lord. And I'm not talking about dancing to some song that you, you like the beat. I'm talking about dancing in the Spirit. And that's what he would do. And he would do that and the finances would come in. The world doesn't teach you that. It doesn't, in, in the natural, it doesn't make any sense to dance before God when you, because you've got a financial situation. You had to have learned that from somewhere. But we have a, we have a tendency to lean on the natural things and trust the things in the natural, and then we wonder why God doesn't show up. Well, Lord, I believe I was believing you for it. No, no, no. You thought you would believe in God. He's faithful. He's faithful. See, you, 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 you've, you've got to be like Abraham who judged God faithful. Abraham believed God. He said, He's faithful. If He said it, it's done. End of story. But see, a lot of times our attitude is, is such because we really don't have a close relationship with the Father. If you've got a close one, you know whatever it is that you're believing God for, you've got it. And you, you, you'll act different. And the Spirit of God will move in your life and cause you to act differently. It causes you to talk differently. It causes you to treat others differently. 
Because you see something. Let's go on here. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now here's an interesting scripture. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. As I was meditating on this scripture, the Spirit of God, just it was just an inner witness. It wasn't a loud voice. It wasn't something that a light started to shine above me. It was just in a small, still, it was a very, very quiet, I would say a nudge. He nudged me. And he said, check that word sought out. I said, well, okay. So I, I started to do some research. I got into the Strong's and did, did some research into the original Hebrew, which is, or in the Old Testament, that's what we're going to have. We're going to have the Hebraic language. And the Hebrew number, I'll give it for you because I'm going to help you out. You can, you can, don't believe me, check it out yourself. It's H1875. H stands for Hebrew. 1875. And what it means is, the definition of that word really is, it means to worship. The act of worshiping. Now, why they translated and said sought, I don't know. I wasn't there. But it says, we really could read this, I worship the Lord, and he heard me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. There's power in worship. Church, there's power in worship because worship, when, when you enter into worship, you're releasing your faith. You're releasing faith. Faith is released when you worship the Lord. You may not see it, but see, you're releasing your faith because you're worshiping God for who He is. And it brings great and dramatic change in your life. Answers are given to you and me when we take the time out to worship God. When I study the Word, I'm developing the habit. I'm not there yet, but I'm developing the habit to take some time and just worship God. I'm not, I'm not doing it for hours. I'm just doing it for minutes. I'm worshiping him. How you'll change your life is you learn to worship. Norval Hayes, we talked about this before, but Norval Hayes, who's in heaven now, Norval Hayes, had the Lord speak to him uh, concerning worship. And Norval Hayes, he said, the Lord told him, he said, my people basically love me. But they're sick, they're broke, and they are depressed because they don't worship me long enough. 
So what does basic love give? It get, By that word from the Lord, basic love gets you broke, gets you sick, and gets you depressed. And when God spoke that to Norval Hayes, God even said, he said, Norval, you're one of them. You don't spend long enough time in worship. What happens when, when we worship? When we worship, worship always brings the anointing. And by definition, the anointing destroys the yoke. Whatever yoke is in your life, and you, and you see, and that's why I say answers come in worship because worship brings the anointing which destroys the yoke. And you might be worshiping the Father, and the Father, when that anointing comes, that yoke destroy, is destroyed by the anointing. And sometimes that what is destroyed there, you, you're believing God for something over here. Maybe you're believing God for healing. But what gets destroyed over here by your worship is your attitude toward people. God starts talking to you about that. He starts bringing something up to you. He says, you know, you're, you're not mean to people, especially your family. Would you talk to me the way you talk to them? And you're saying, Lord, what's this got to do with my sickness? I'm worshiping you because you're my healer. See, you don't understand he's trying to reveal something to you through the anointing because you're in worship. And you're going to have to yield to it. Because as you worship him, he starts dealing with areas in your life. And what he's doing is he, he knows that this area over here, your lack of how you treat people, is affecting your health. We always think there's a quick and easy answer to everything. Right? Most Christians believe that there's a quick and easy answer to everything. Why? Why do we think that way? Well, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with we live in a drive-by society. We can go get a meal, drive up to a restaurant, go to a window, tell them what we want, go to the next one to pay for it, and we're out of there and we're eating. Most people have forgot what good home-cooked meals taste like. It's surprising people I talk to how long it's been since they've even had a home-cooked meal. I mean, I've had, I've had lots of people tell me, well, everything I eat, I eat out. What does that set up? It sets up, a, it sets up an attitude of everything's quick. See, and if you, when you enter in time to worshiping God, he's going to reveal some things to you. And that's what the psalmist was saying. He said, I worship the Lord, and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Now look at this next verse. It says, verse 5. They looked unto him. Now I did some research too a while back on that one. And I had made notes in my Bible. 
which I, I learned a long time ago. When it shows you something, put it in the book. Put it in the book, because if this is your book, if this is the Word of God that you use, you're going to go back to it. I've got a lot of Bibles, but this is my main one. But I had written down there, I don't know how long ago, it says under the, under the word looked, I wrote with pleasure. So apparently one of the meanings of that word in the Hebrew is to look upon something with great pleasure. What's that telling you? It's telling the attitude. For with great pleasure we looked unto him and we were lightened. What happened? Because we learned to look at the word of God, at his presence with great pleasure. Not sadness, not, not displeasure, not mournfully come before him. But we were pleased. We looked on him with great pleasure. We were lightened. And their faces, it says, their faces were not ashamed. So what happens? The whole countenance of that person was changed based on how they looked at the Father and his relationship and their worship. See, if you're, going to, if you're going to go to the Father and say, well, Pastor was talking about worshiping and God was talking to me about worship and I really don't know how to do it, I'll give it a shot. And you go to worship God and your attitude's not right. You're going through the motion of, oh Lord, I worship you, I worship you. That's what they said I should say. You're not going to get nothing. You're not going to get anything. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians. They come into his gates mourning. What did we just read? It said, come into his gates with thanksgiving. Into his courts with praise. Why? Because as I worship him, as I worship him, the Lord, he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Anything that's a concern to you, he, he, it says, the psalmist said, he delivered me from it. It went away. It changed. It went away. Now let's go on here. Verse 6 says, The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Who was the poor man? It's not talking about financially broke. It's not talking about a person that was financially broke. It's talking about a poor man, a man that thought more of God than himself is speaking to the church today because the church today thinks more of themselves than they do the kingdom of God and they wonder why God doesn't move in their lives. They can't come to church. They can't spend time in His Word. They, they, they can't take correction. They're offended so easily. They put things in the world before God. And they wonder why, God, why don't you change, why don't you change my, my, my situation? Why don't you change my family? Why don't you change my kids? Well, think about it. Do, you, do your kids look at you and see that you put God before everything? Or do you put your kids before God? A lot of times what we see in the church today is people are putting their, putting their children before 
before God. They go to churches that God never called them to go to. They go to places that God never never said for them to go to. And when bad things happen, they get mad and upset. And make matters worse, I see them blame God. Yeah, they've blamed the Lord because things happen in their life. And every now and then, the Lord will prompt me, and I ask him, so did the Lord tell you to do that? Well, no. Well, then why are you blaming him? Well, I read my Bible. I'm a Christian. Well, that's great. You should read your Bible. You should be a Christian, but that doesn't guarantee that nothing bad's going to happen in your life. The Word of God, if you study it, you'll find out that he's the one that orders our steps. Not us. I don't, I, I don't make my own decisions. I, I have to look to him. Lord, do I do it this way or do I do it my way? And you know what? Almost, almost always, it's his way. And there's been times he's told me, he said, Michael, it, 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 it doesn't really matter. You can do it your way or mine. And even in those, I'm going to do it his way. Because I know his ways are better ways. Let's go on here. Verse 7. says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and they delivereth them. Now an interesting thing there, see, because you're in the process, notice this process we're in. We're worshiping God, and he's delivering us. Now it says, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear him. Who are those that fear him? Do you think maybe there's just a slight chance that those that fear God are the ones that worship him? Maybe they're connected? I think it is. There's a, there's a divine connection between those that fear God. When you see that in the word of God, if you fear me, this is what you... Just add worship in with it. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fears them and delivers them. Now it's interesting to know on that word delivers. I looked that one up in Strong's. And one of the definitions that it gives is it says to deliver, to equip for a fight, to strengthen. Now, let's take that and put that into here what's going on. The angel of the Lord is around us when we worship the Lord, we fear him, and he equips us for a great fight. He strengthens us. How does he do that? He does it in many different ways. But you have to understand, sometimes in the process of fearing God and worshiping the Lord, his way of equipping you is to give you a word to speak in that season. A word to stand on, and you've got to stand on it. You know, I'm reminded of an a event in the, in the New Testament. Jesus has this encounter with... Uh, 
this man who's filled with these devils. Legion. Remember the story? And it says, as Jesus approached this man, the man fell on the ground and worshipped the Lord. And Jesus said, come out of him. And the devil answered and said, when Jesus asked him, what is your name? He said, legion. Meaning, there was a legion of devils, demons in this man. How many is a legion? Well, it, it's well over a thousand. But you notice in this story that a thousand devils in this man couldn't stop the man from worshiping God. But something else is interesting about that story is that Jesus commanded the devils to come out and they didn't until what? Until he found out the name of who the devil was that was in their legion. Then he commanded them to come out and they left. See, sometimes you're waiting for the angel to deliver you, to give you a word from heaven about your situation. It's not always just go up there and say, in the name of Jesus, come out. You need something specific about that situation. And we know for a fact that Jesus spent time every day worshiping the Father. Because he said, I can do nothing except I see the Father do it or I hear the Father. I can't do anything. So what winds up happening? In that process, he gets a word. We are legion, we are many. Now Jesus, with more accuracy, commands them de demons to come out and they come out of him. So through that whole process of worshiping the Father, it says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about us that fear him, and he delivers us. And that doesn't necessarily mean you'll have to do nothing. It may mean that you'll have to be more specific, but that angel is there to help you, minister to you, and to equip you, and to strengthen you to stay in the fight and not quit and walk away, which a lot of times that's what Christians do. Because we get tired of fighting. We get tired of, of standing and standing and standing, and it doesn't seem like no help is on the way. And what do we do? We want to quit. We want to give up. What is it? That's the flesh speaking. That's the flesh speaking. And as disciples, a true disciple, the mark of a discipleship, is they don't quit. You know, I'm reminded of in the New Testament where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he tells them, he looks at them and he says, listen, I'm paraphrasing. 
He says to the disciples, he says, look, unless you eat of my flesh, and unless you drink of my blood, you'll have no part of me, and I'll have no part of you. Now, you have, put yourself in their shoes. They've been through a lot. They've, they've been through a lot already. And now Jesus is coming on with this teaching, and he's telling them, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. You have nothing. We have nothing together. And the Bible says in that day, they, they turned and walked with him no more. Many disciples left him that day. And they said to themselves, this is hard. Who can do this? What is he talking about? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Was he talking about literally eating his flesh and drinking? No, he was talking about spiritual things. But these disciples weren't very spiritual at all. But there were disciples that stayed. And he said to them, Don't you want to leave? Don't you want to go? And the disciples looked at him and said, Where are we going to go, Master? There's nobody that knows what you know. There's nobody that has done what you have done. Where are we going to go? Then later on, it leads to the conversation Peter, uh, Jesus has with Peter. And he says, Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter says, well, Master, some people say you're Isaiah, Elijah, the great prophets. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And Jesus' whole response to that was, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. You didn't get that from everybody around here. Where that came from, was from my Father in heaven. Because you got a revelation from the Father in heaven. And how did he get that revelation? Because he was a disciple of Jesus. And what's a disciple of Jesus really mean? It means you're doing the works that Jesus does. You're living that life of Jesus. So just as Jesus worshipped the Father every day, guess what Peter was doing? He was worshiping the Father every single day of his life. Was he perfect at it? No, he wasn't. But he had learned from Jesus to spend time in worship, and what Jesus was telling him it was, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal to you that I was the Messiah, the Christ, but my Father who is in heaven 
told you that, showed you that, as you worshipped him. And then he says this, and on that revelation that you got during worship, I'm going to build my whole church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That doesn't mean Peter was the first pope. It's not what it said there. That has been taken completely out of context. The revelation Peter got from heaven, he said, upon that revelation, I'm going to build my church. Is he still doing it today? He's still doing it today. Upon the revelation, if, you're, if you want to be part of the real church, the true church, because we know there is a true church, there is an antichrist church. And the antichrist and the people that don't know the Lord are mixed in with believers. They're right here with us. They're right here with us. Let's go on here. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Let's talk about tasting. Let's talk about taking that word, taking that word, putting his word in your mouth, and you're speaking it, you're tasting it, you're experiencing it. Because when you taste food, you experience the juices of that food, the taste of that food, and, and if you like it, something good goes, something good happens on the inside of you. You're like, mm, that's good. I'd like to have some more of that. And you, you develop, and, and over a period of time, if you keep eating that same food over and over again, you develop cravings for it. And that's what the psalmist was saying. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Blessed, empowered is the man that trusts in him. Verse 9. Oh, fear them all, you saints, for there is no want in them that fear him. Listen to what he said. There is no want in them that fear him. What is the concept of fearing the Lord? It's connected to worship. You can't separate worship out from the rest of this psalm. It's, they're connected. Oh, fear the Lord and his saints, for there's no want in them that fear him. Verse 10, here's the last one we're going to look at in, this, in Psalms uh, 34. The young lions do lack, and they suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Who are the young lions? The inexperienced ones. That's who the young lions are. They're the inexperienced ones. And see, you can be a Christian for, for 20, 30, 40 years and still be a young lion because you're still in, you're inexperienced in the things of the kingdom. Paul said it this way in the New Testament. He said, he said, I'd like to give you meat, 
But some of you, you're still on the milk of the word. You should be in the meat of the word. You're still being fed the milk of the word. You can't handle the meat. Get off the milk and get into the meat. But we understand that there are young lions in the word. There's young people. There's young people in the word. They and they and and, and what happens is they will suffer lack. Why? Because they don't know how to access things. And that's where the body of Christ comes together and takes a young lion and says, Listen, young lion, if you're listening, we can help you. And he says here, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Now that word seek is the same Hebrew word, H1875, as sought. It means to worship. Those that worship the Lord shall not want any good thing. In times of worship, it, it releases faith. It releases faith. Faith to dance before the Lord. Faith to sing before the Lord. Faith for healing, faith for deliverance, faith for a breakthrough. But it has to be, it has to be a lifestyle of faith. It has to be a lifestyle of worship. You can't wait till something major happens in your life and you say, okay, I'm going to start worshiping the Lord. That's great, that's fine, but you don't understand, it's going to take a lot longer. But see, if you're living that lifestyle of worship, of that flow, you're not changing anything. You're not changing anything. You're already in the flow of worship. You've already got the peace. There is no want in your life. You already have the answer. I'll close with this. In 2 Samuel, it tells the story of King David. And uh, King David has this relationship with Bathsheba. You all know the story. And she gets pregnant with David's son. And we know what David did to Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband. He has him killed. Well, Bathsheba has the child. And the Lord had told David, because of the sin that happened, this child is going to die. And David, for seven days when this child is born... And he's sick. And, and his men won't even talk to him because they're, they're, they see how this, this whole thing has, has changed David. And they're, they're concerned. And then the day comes the child does die. And they're talking amongst themselves and they say one to another, they say, what, what are we going to do now? We see how this troubled him while the child was sick. 
And David noticed the men were talking to each other. And something went off inside of him. And he approached him and he said, is the child dead? And they said, yes, master, the child is dead. And the word of God says, David... The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And see, here's where you've got to get out of flesh things because you think of, man, he murdered a guy and he, he stole his wife. Yeah, he did. Did say he was perfect. It said he was a man after God's own heart. When the news came, his child had died. It said he went in and he washed his face and hands. He anointed his head with oil and he went in and he worshipped the Lord. He worshipped God. At the news that his son had died. Later on his men came to him and said, what are you, why are you doing this? While the child was sick, you fasted and you prayed. And David said, will my fasting and my prayer bring him back? No. No. He said, he, he is gone. And I will be with him again, but he can't come here. Meaning, my child's in heaven. And he went into Bathsheba and encouraged her. And they, his, 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 he went into Bathsheba, his wife. And, they, and she conceived a child who was Solomon, was born. We know the rest of that story. But one thing I want to point out is notice what happens at the worst time of David's life when his son dies. He worships God. He had things in order in his house. He understood in order for the natural to be taken care of, he had to take care of things in the spirit first. The spiritual needs were more important than the natural needs. The first thing he did was he went in, he cleansed himself, he anointed himself with oil, he went in and worshipped the Father. He turned the page. He wasn't looking back anymore. See, and that's what some of us, we have, you have to learn. You get in the flow of the Spirit of worshiping the Father, and it's a, it's, a, it's a daily flow. David wasn't able to do that overnight. He lived that lifestyle of worshiping the Father. Yeah, he made mistakes. But the Bible doesn't say he was a man after God's own heart because of his mistakes. He said, it said he was a man of God after God's own heart because of his worship of God. His spending time with God. And he knew when the child died, take care of the spiritual things first. Move on. And in that comes an answer. 
In that process of David came the answer Solomon, the one that would build the temple. And we know the rest of the story. Solomon, the richest man, probably of all time in the earth. And God told David in that process, he said, because David wanted to build the temple, and God said, you've got too much blood on your hands. You've got too much blood on your hands. But your son Solomon, I'll let him build the temple. And here was David's attitude. All right? All right, you want to let him build the temple? Fine. But I, I've got, and I can't remember what the, five million or 50 million. He said, I've got 50 million dollars I want to put in this temple. I'm giving it to you, Lord. I'm giving it to you. Rather than get mad that he didn't get to build the temple. No, no, what did he do? He sowed. He sowed into the kingdom. He took care of us. He put spiritual things first. Natural things last. And out of that lineage came who? Jesus. Amen? Out of that lineage came Jesus. Did you all get something today? Let's stand up. Let's stand up and praise the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for divine revelation. Thank you for clarity, Father. Thank you, Father. We worship you. We praise you. Glory to God. Glory to God.